Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Very interesting show. We're going to cover a lot of different grounds tonight. we got the Swamp Girl who's going to be joining us. And we're also, in the last segment for the last 20 minutes, we're going to talk about Pearl Harbor. Uh, this was one of those things where we had a – well, actually, the Swamp Girl wrote me a little uh, – sent me a little email saying, hey, we are going to talk – are you going to be talking about the Pearl Harbor today? I said, sure. Yeah, good idea. And so, uh, so for the for the Swamp Girl, alias Pam, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Tyler? Oh, not much. I'm not walking much. home. I'm just, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm on my walk walking home. Right yeah. Uh, well, how far? Yeah, I walk. So how far are you? So how far are you from your home? A hundred yards. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like uh. 100, 150 yards from the football field. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. But that's why the dogs are barking in the background and all that stuff. All right. Well, why you, you doing? Also... I'm sorry about your, I'm not... sorry about yeah. your loss this weekend. I'm sorry about Pardon your me? loss this weekend. Well, you know what it is. Uh, you know, some days you got it, some days you don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Iowa did not have it at all. I, you know, I tell you. You know, they had that first drive. They went, you know, they stopped Michigan three and out. They get that first drive, and they have the guy open in the end zone with that trick, you know, with the uh, halfback option. They missed the play. One of the most dependable field goal kickers in college misses an easy 33-yard field goal. At that point, I'm thinking, gee, gas, this does not look good. And the very next series, it was like, what, two plays, and Michigan has a 67-yard rushing attack touchdown and then after that 75 yard touchdown pass and after a while they held their own and but you know uh, somebody uh sent me a text you know you realize even i from here in south carolina can guess what you guys are going to run in the first and second down that was me <laughs> that was me i was sitting here looking and i'm like no if i can figure out what play they're fixing to run i know michigan again because you know that i don't know all that much about it <laughs> yeah, but I could, so, I could. I knew when they were going to run, and they kept running on first down. I'm like y'all need to change that up a little bit. Everybody knows you're running okay. on first down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was just one of those things. Michigan just played a great game, and uh, we played one of the worst games I've seen we've played in a long time. I mean, I haven't seen anything you know this bad in so long. Uh, that's all I can say. It's and now we'll it was to, pretty, yeah. The well, as a Carolina fan, we're kind of used kind of tragedy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, and nothing else. The Washington football team won. 
my football team won. Yeah, so, there you go. So and they won. Saturday, get happy on Sunday. Yeah, and they won on the pretty much near the last play of the game with a field goal kicker they just picked up, you know, like before the game. You know, it's like this is their fourth field goal kicker. The first guy they cut, you know, the, the first guy they cut, and he's now uh, Los Angeles Chargers. The second guy, you know, had two field goals, and he had three blocked. I mean, it's like if he, you know, you know three out of five were blocked. So he, he went off to do. Then they had a guy look pretty good for a couple of games, and then he gets hurt. You know, they literally had to play the, uh, you know, the Mon- I think it, yeah, it was the Monday night game against. Uh, yeah. And they they had no, they had absolutely no, I mean, the guy got injured, so they basically ended up having to play. They, they had to basically play with no field goal kicker. So yeah. no extra point, no extra point. So, right. yeah, so no field goal. I mean, and that was the thing because, the, you know, I mean, they had, again, it's like they had one kick blocked. And went back for an, you know, an extra point, turned into a two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just one of those days. I mean, you're looking at this game, and you're like saying to yourself, e. Oh, Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was against Seattle. Yeah, I mean, the Monday night game against Seattle, that was like, again, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those games we should have won a lot easier, but we didn't have a field goal kicker. Yeah, we had to basically go for – like, for example, instead of at the end of the game, you know, they went for a touchdown. They went for a touchdown, which was called back, uh, which mm. gave uh, Russell Wilson one more shot. That normally would have been a field goal. It still would have, and it would have put us like two scores ahead, 10 points ahead with about two minutes left, right? So, right. So, yeah. And then last, and then last week, uh, like I say, they pick up the fourth kicker essentially during the week. Uh, you know, you got anything else to do with your life? Nope, I just got cut. You know, I'm playing around with the Bears practice squad. Oh, then you're really not doing anything. <laughs> come kick it. You know, come kick field goals for us. And it was a 48-yard field goal too. It wasn't like a, a, a yeah. chip shot. It wasn't right. a chip shot at all. You know, so, but uh, we're going to get into some of the comments. Uh, that, you know, after this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we got the Swamp Girl at the last segment. Dr. Larry's going to be joining. And the three of us are going to talk Pearl Harbor. Uh, so we should have a pretty, a pretty good show. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this segment will be brought to you by... Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports, offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. we got uh, joining us here tonight the Swamp Girl, uh, uh, Pam. And, and she's yeah. good. I'm, there's a couple of comments you hear. Uh, and I want to kind of get your views on this. I mean, actually, you already give me your views. So I want you to expand on them. You know, have we become a nation of weenies? <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah. We have. You yeah. talk about the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. You know, the country came together and yeah. decided no, no more, that we're done. You know, we're, and uh, we have not done that. You know, there was a little bit of that since 9 11, but we've allowed, we've allowed, you know, other groups to come in and, and be influencers. And, and these are small parts of, of our yeah. um, social system. And we've allowed them to be the, the largest voices. And uh, I think the, you know, unless I'm totally reading things wrong, I think the, the regular person, and I consider myself one of those, um, that's struggling to make it day to day to day to day, you know, we just, we get tired of things and um, yeah. We've become big weenies uh, on the world stage too, and I think everybody knows it. That's that's the that's my biggest concern a little bit, um, you know, because defund the police, um, you know, hits uh, disrespect in the military hits, um, disrespect to our veterans hits. You know, when you're paying, like somebody pointed out, you're paying a. a People who are illegal aliens that came over here, yes, I understand refugees and all that, but they should not be getting paid more than our veterans. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. bizarre. <laughs> it's a bizarre well, world. Here's the thing, because what people, what you know, Tam is kind of referring to is that there was a proposal, and I have no idea where it is now because I think it's kind of hidden in the bowels of the bureaucracy for a problem. They're actually going to offer, you know, illegal immigrant families crossing the border uh, $450,000 as payment for, separ- you know, past separation. And, what? Yeah, and, and, which is, and, which, and I forgot, which is, yeah, and it was, yeah, Daniel, uh, Dan Crenshaw, the um, Republican out of Texas, wrote a little note saying, hey, this is more than what a widow of a fallen veteran would have gotten. Well, it's they more were, than a police officer retiree. You know, come on now. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, these people, you know, it's like break the law, cross the country illegally, or give you a, you know, you get to hit the lottery. It just yeah, doesn't and, make and sense. I'm, and I, I mean, I understand the, uh, refugee status. You know, I understand that going into a country and helping people out and getting them over here. 
you know, because their village is overrun by drug dealers and shit, whatever. You know, we've done that before in the past. Um, yeah. We've, we've saved a lot of people from a lot of things, but then there's some breakdown in the assimilation process. Um, whereas if I have to work and put myself through school, everybody should be putting themselves through school and all of this, like, student debt loan stuff. I mean, are you going to pay yeah. me back for all the 80 hours a week I work just so I could get myself into college to get through college and go extra, you know, to afford my books and afford my stuff? Um, you know, a few times I did get some scholarships to help out and stuff, but, you know, come on now. I paid my way. Um, yeah. Well, you, and like what do I get for told, it? But, yeah. you know, it's a very screwed up yeah. system. Yeah. Somebody who's actually paid, uh, you know, has co-signed a couple of loans of that nature of one of my uh, ch- you know, children. Again, I'm one of those who figures, you know, it would benefit me tremendously. It would benefit my daughter tremendously if you forgive those loans. But the question comes into play is, hey, you took the loans out as part of the deal. Like you take right. a loan out to buy a house. You take a loan. Right. And, 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 the, and if you sit back and look at the people who have the highest loans, also people who tend to be the wealthiest or coming from the wealthiest side of the equation or they got themselves good enough good jobs. And and I find, you know, and to me, the most insulting aspect of all of this is when you see some congresswoman who literally gets on the floor, who's making $175,000 a year, complaining we should be paying off her loan. Correct. That she, that she chose to, A, go to law school. She chose to do these things. Her response is, well, I didn't want to be a big-time lawyer I'm here to do whatever the people's work or whatever charitable work she thought she was going to be in. But the reality that comes into the play here is, look, she's making $175,000 a year. She's a congressperson. Yeah. Correct. I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, pay off your own loan. (laughs) At at, at that salary, you would think that somebody should be able to handle their money a little bit better. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm. You know, they do teach math, or they did teach math in schools. Um, and I think I pointed out to you we were talking about the economy. There was just a report today, just just now, a few minutes before I came up here. My father watches the news, and um, they were talking about the economy in South Carolina is really good right now. And I'll, and and he looked at me and he says, you know, that's just a bunch of numbers. I said, what are you talking about? He said. If the economy were so good, the shelves would be full yeah. at the supermarket. If the economy was so good, people would not be homeless, you know, and living on the street. Yeah. There would be shelters. There would be places for them. Somebody could rearrange that money a little bit better to help out those less fortunate. Um, if the economy were good, we wouldn't be paying so much for gas. For bacon, you know, I always complain about bacon. Yes, you um, do. You always seem to make that point with me in particular. Yeah, because you're from uh, Iowa and y'all got all the pigs up there. But yeah, well, it's true. I mean, there's there's two states, you know. the two top states is Iowa's the number one state, and I think uh, North Carolina is number two. Obviously, they're not shipping you any pigs either. No, they're not. And I've got cousins up there, but whatever. Uh, yeah, you know, but the whole the the, the whole thing is is that um, 
about the bacon. You know, I was thinking earlier, you know, real men really don't know the price of bacon. Men traditionally don't. If if you look at the roles, they don't. They they are the breadwinners, and they make the money. Yeah. But yeah, it's the people that usually cook, and in a traditional household, that's the women. But yeah. no, nah, men men do not. Real men, in my opinion, do not know the price of bacon. They just know they love it. You know. That is true. We do love yeah, it. No. And I had some. I yeah, had no. some bacon today. I had we. Yeah. You know, we've been we're eating potato soups. Over the weekend, so we've been, uh, you know, kind of getting dipping into the potato soup. So what I do is I, you know, cook a couple pieces of bacon, cut them up, put them on top of, along with cheese, on top of the potato soup. Oh, it's delicious. But then it gets you everything. Following, you've been following Coco and her recipes too much, man. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, yeah. yeah. The thing is this. Well, I mean, the thing comes in play is this, is that bacon goes with everything. I mean, who can hate bacon? Yes, it does. I mean, yes, it, it is. does, and uh, you can basically tell the economy and the economic status by the price of bacon, in my yeah, opinion. That's I mean, a good I'm, point. Like I said, I, yeah. uh, just look at the price of bacon, and you'll know how your neighborhood is doing. You'll know how your country is doing when you yeah. start looking at well, the price a, of yeah, bacon. It, it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting point because here's the thing with inflation. Inflation is a government-induced period. I, I mean, first of all, number one, the number one part, the, the one, the number one group that has responsibility for the monetary supply, the Federal Reserve, uh, has basically left the spigot since the COVID, uh, since uh, COVID, pretty much allowed uh, the money supply to increase substantially. The second part of the equation is, as the old saying goes, you know, it's too much money chasing too few goods. You know, first it's the monetary, but if you don't have any economic plan to grow the economy or productivity, uh, you're aiding and abetting as a government policy inflation because uh, there's not enough products being produced to slush up that extra money. That's inflation. Well, listen, but even if you look at it a little bit deeper, though, Tom, if I wanted to come up to Iowa and buy myself a hog, I'd have to get certain permits to carry that hog back to South Carolina, government permits, but yeah. somebody would have to certify that that hog was a hog, that the hog wasn't diseased, and I would have to pay for all that. And then I'm going to have right. to pay for the feed for the hog to keep it alive to come back here to South Carolina, um, which is regulated and taxed by the government. And so it becomes this big old uh, mud puddle trying to get through a big old mud bog just trying to get yeah. me a hog so I can have me some bacon, um, yeah. you know, and barbecue or and, whatever. I, 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 and that's, that's government regulated. So that's why I say, by the, yeah. you know, in the sim- simplest put, look at the price of bacon. Yeah. You know, because well, everything that goes into that bacon getting on my shelf has to do with regulations on the other end. That's a good point. I mean, that's a good point because, like I say, people don't realize what it takes to get a product to the market, to get bacon to the market. Uh, and and the, the steps one has to go through, because you've just said, it might be a very nice way of educating people on what, how products in the United States get to the market and the government, into, you know, and plus the government role in getting that to the market, the government taxation to get it to the market. And so, you know, it, it, so it's, 
you have just given our audience an excellent history and an excellent economic lesson that they should learn, namely, you know, to get from point A to point B, uh, you find yourself having point C, D, E, F, and G added to the mix before it gets to point B. So it's a very interesting aspect. We're going to take a quick break here. Tom Dawson, Dawson Files here on the Bastion News Radio Network. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Yeah, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. This particular segment is brought to you by... Napa Know How! Napa Guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa Know How... You can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. Jim, welcome to the Donaldson Perils here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got the Swap Girl with us, uh, Pam. We also got Dr. Hello. Larry joining us in this next segment. We're and Pam and uh, uh, you know Pam, uh, Dr. Larry, and myself. We're going to be talking about uh, Pearl Harbor because it is the 80th anniversary. Of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people so we, always uh, so ask that, my father. My, my father is a, uh, a Navy man. And uh, okay. I asked him one time why he went into the Navy because, I mean, we come from a family of military service. And I said, why the Navy? And he said that when he was, uh, I forgot how old he was, but he was. Uh, in between 10 and 15 when Pearl Harbor hit and they listened to it on the radio. That's when he decided that he was going to go into the Navy. Um, You know, you talk about 9-11, you know, how people join the military after 9-11. You you hear a lot of fellows say that. Well, for him and his, you know, long career in the Navy, it was um, Pearl Harbor. It was yeah. just that. So, yeah. And he's, he gets pretty well, you know, melancholy yeah. around this time, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's kind of an interesting you know, point you make there because we've had the passing away of Robert Dole, 98, yeah. who was part of that generation. Uh, I don't know if you caught this news, but the last remaining officers of the Band of Brothers, you know, that, you know we had yeah. that was based on the book. Uh, based on the book by uh, yeah, the historian, and I'm trying to remember his name real quick here. Uh, so, but uh, no, but he passed away, and I think there's maybe one person left of that. Uh, one person left. Stephen, yeah, I think um, I read Campbell. that. Stephen Ambrose. Yeah. 
So, I mean, this is a generation that is, and your father is probably, you know, he's one of those last remaining part of that generation that's there. And and it's it's you know, it's kind of like uh well he would be considered a Korean war veteran I think you know but uh well he, but well, Pearl he, Harbor is what made him you know yeah want go to, ahead, maybe. well so was he in World War Two at all as of the Korean War and he was in service during the Korean War but he um. I'm in, in one of those situations where I, if you want to ask him what he did in the Navy, I will let him tell you. How about that? Um, right. Because he did special assignments and stuff. But he was a submariner for a while. He's a, a senior chief petty officer. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, and he was in the uh, Pacific Fleet, and he was in the Atlantic Fleet, and then he had some special assignments. So, um oh. But my uncle followed well, in his heels and did 20 yeah. years um, on a U-boat. Well, actually, interesting, yeah. Yeah, actually, interesting, because my dad was a chief petty officer in the Navy, too. Hmm. And he served mostly in the Atlantic. But as he will okay. tell you, but the one thing, he did tell me this one story. Because, you know, the you know the VE, oh, VE day, when mm-hmm. we defeated the Germans, we saw the Japanese. Yeah, there was always the talk right. about okay, the invasion of Japan. And they were looking for pilots. So they basically he was going through uh flight school and he would have been hmm. part of that invasion of Japan. Wow. As he said, yeah, you know, the atomic bomb you know, took that off the table. And there are a lot of people of that generation that does not mind the atomic bomb being dropped. They have no qualms. Because quite frankly, they would have been the ones who would have gone. Uh, yeah, and, and the way my father explained some of that was that this was pure evil, and it wasn't going to go away. Yeah. And they needed to know, you know, they were warned and told prior to. And um, it was one of those, you know, to him hear him talk about it. You can read history books and, you know, you get different points of view, but he said, you know, it was just something that had to be done at that time. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was that was one of the things, you know, hey, we got to stop this. This is crazy. Yeah. it's Well, you know, I tell you, too, people really don't understand what, you know, how evil you know, evil could be. It's like you, you talk about the word weedy, but it's the other aspect you read reflection of history itself, that there are indeed evil regimes and evil people, and we see them even today, but we just don't see them in the same way. I mean, uh, you know, I mean Nazi in what Germany, world do we think it's okay to behead people, you know? Yeah. In, in what world, all of a sudden, it's okay to be talking to people that do that on a regular basis? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That throw people off of buildings on a regular basis. That, you know, uh, if they were to come over here, you know, I, I would imagine that, that uh, you know, it, if if I were a gay person, I'd be scared shitless. Excuse my friends. I don't know how to say that. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, these are people that, that no, you're the infidel. You were evil. But I'm not even talking about them as much as I'm talking about things that happen in Africa with Boko Haram. You know, 
um, yeah. those kind of things where they incorporate into killing people and stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. The world out there is not as uh, yeah. soft as we are. You know, we we, yeah. we don't do those things, and this country was built off of we don't do those things. But, well, that's a, yeah, but, it's an interesting, yeah, it's a, yeah, absolutely because it's the to me the knowledge of history is what is lacking today. I mean, it's, I don't think people truly understand uh, like the, we used to. I mean, and. Uh, uh, well, I always rail that. about that too. You know, I always always rail about that. Where um, even today, things are done. We've got cemeteries. We've got people buried on the cities. We've got things because of a progress, because of this, because you had the million dollars to build this stadium. So let's just build it on top of these people's, you know, cemeteries, and then then complain. Yeah. You know, you want to make an issue that. Um, Black Lives Matter, but then you're going to build a, a golf course over a friggin' cemetery? Are you kidding me? So yeah. it's, it's happened yeah. here in South Carolina, you know. Um, uh, and then put some senators or House representatives' name on top of the thing. You're know, like, come on, dude. No. Yeah. What you have to I mean, we just you know, lost sight of you know, things. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to close. And we're going to get more into the Pearl Harbor there because. It's, you know, it's, you know, I kind of like to make the statement that we have been involved in some really grand experiments. You know, I've talked about the pandemic side of the equation. I've talked about the crime side of the equation where we literally, okay, you know, what happens, you know, when you, A, defund the police, cut the budget of the police, when you take the police out of high crime area, what happens? Well, guess what? Crime goes up. I mean, this was one of those, you would think after this grand experiment that we would learn something from it. And and even those people most directly, in fact, I know I've done enough polling on it, and you talk to, let's say, people of color, black or Hispanics, you know, they want the police back in their neighborhoods because they're the ones who get hit with this. And there have been thousands of additional deaths as a result of these kinds of policies. I, mean, I could literally go look at the uh, you know, pandemic and say, okay, we didn't stop the virus, but we sure as hell stopped a good portion of the economy. And we had that grand yeah. experiment. But those, those states that had less economic restrictions also have the lowest unemployment across the board. I mean, by 30%, 40%. And I think we're learning this with inflation. You know, we're learning this with in, you know, inflation. Where I mean, literally. Yeah, where... I agree, but I don't know if you remember back a while back that we went through this major inflation. And my only concern about that, just as a layperson here, and I'm not an expert at anything really, um, is that prices go up. And I don't, you know, people talk historically and say, they never go down. They never go down. Time, no. gas might go down, you know, if you have enough gas. But when you look at the price of things on the shelf, they don't go down. Well, yeah, this is, yeah that's a good point. And even with the gas, I mean, this, again, is the fourth grand experiment where on energy, where literally if somebody came to me and said to me, 
Okay, here's going to be this form. Here's our policy. We're going to a shut up the pipeline, shut pipelines into the United States. We're going to reduce the amount of oil and natural gas being produced. And you're surprised that prices go up because you've restricted the production. And then you have the, again, you go back to weenie side of the equation. You know, the weenie side of the equation is, is, uh, nobody stood up. Yeah. I mean, the weenie side of the equation is you've got Joe Biden literally going to OPEC and say, would you produce some more oil and, and have OPEC laugh in our faces like, hey, you did this to yourselves, dude. We're not, hey, we're making a ton of money hands over fist because of you guys. Why would we want to help you out now? You, you know, if you want, you want uh, production, go produce your own. But we're not going to cut you. Know, we're not, yeah, yeah. That's, that's about as effective as that diplomatic uh, boycott of the Olympics this year, too, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought the Chinese. That. Yeah, I mean the Chinese are probably laughing too. Like, oh, okay, oh yeah, you know they are. Yeah, yeah. We got NBC over there, so we don't need you anyway. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, we got NBC. We got NBC. We got your team. We don't care. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, uh, right. And I have to imagine Putin is sitting there thinking, "Oh, you're going to do economic sanctions if I invade Ukraine." Yeah, whatever. Correct. Yeah, you, I mean, that's going to be a nothing burger, too. You yeah, know it? I know it. Everybody knows it. I mean, I mean, what's yeah. it going to do? Beg Putin for oil? I mean, come on. You know? Yeah, do we, uh, maybe you're right. We have weenie. I mean, I used to say we're ruled by, you know, by idiots. But uh, maybe we can add to the equation we're being also ruled by weenies. Yeah, you know, I mean, we don't, well, we don't have enough people to stand up. Uh, you know, it, when you do start stand up, you know people crap happens to them. Um, yeah. You know somebody's going to muddy the water. Somebody's going to make a mud pit out of something so that the wheels are slowed enough so they can get their agendas through. Um, and yeah. that is like any court case anymore. You know, they used to talk about tort reform, and they haven't done anything about that. Um, you know, you used yeah. to talk about um, how to make, I mean, you know, do one bill at a time. Don't be don't be porking everything. Don't be piling on, you know, this or piling on that so you can get this vote. Um, you know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars. They, they got a park here in Columbia. It's a major park. It's really big. And all of a sudden they get this money, right? And I'm talking about, I'm not talking yeah. about where I'm from. I'm across the river. But... They're going to spend a billion dollars getting somebody, I think it's a uh, maybe a couple of hundred thousand getting somebody to figure out what's the matter with the park. Um, the fountain don't work, maybe. They shut the water off. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to spend billions of dollars to redo the park. How, you know, redo it to what? You already have a bandstand. You already have a stage. You already have this. You already have what? Whereas you've got people living on the street. Yeah. You know, you could do something in in that part of town, you know what I mean? Which is right all yeah. of it's right downtown. You got you're still gonna have the homeless in the park, be it you want to beautify the park. I didn't make this stuff makes no sense to anybody. 
you know, if you look at it rationally. Yeah. You want me to buy an electric car? Do you think I can afford an electric car? Yeah. No. Do I want to afford that an electric was, car that, when it's a $600 battery for the thing? I've got 112 yeah. degrees heat here on a good day in the summertime. Do you think that stuff is going to last? I talked to somebody up in South Dakota, and they started laughing. That's like, you can't get golf to work up in South Dakota when it's 43 degrees below. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They're not, oh, yeah. not thinking. <laughs> oh, they're not thinking. Very, yeah. That, yeah. We're going to hold on to that thought real quick. We'll finish up, and then we'll get back to uh, Pearl Harbor. This time down some down some files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Yes, and this segment is brought to you by, oops, Harris, let me get this thing lined up perfectly. This segment is brought to you by Napa Know How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Yes, Tom Dawson, Dawson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we also on the line we have the great host of the our co-host of the Resistance Hour, um, Dr. Larry Federoff. So, well, Dr. Larry, welcome to the show because I wanted to, uh, you know, wanted to kind of get you here. Uh, so to kind of have you talk about your historical perspectives, we we got the Swamp Girl, uh, and and you know it, it it's it, it's kind of an int- you know it's you look at Pearl Harbor, and I guess I'll start it this way. Yeah, I'm going to give you my Bob Dole story. Uh, I'll give you, is Bob Dole's daughter. And I were in the same home uh, home rules, uh, yeah, home home rule uh, class together. I mean, we in high school. Yeah, so I, for four years, I sat next to her because we were in the D's, and the D's, you know, we had like everything in alphabetical order. You know, you went into the home room, uh, what you call the home room, where you know, this is where you go before you went to all your other classes, and you hear all the announcements or whatever it is. 
And, you know, she sat next to me for four years. Very nice young lady. Very nice lady. And, and interesting enough, when Bob Dole ran for the Senate and, you know, and ran for the presidency in Iowa, you know, you know, you know I got to see some Kansas. of these candidates up. Kansas. Yeah, this is a, no, Iowa, 1996. Oh, you mean the primary, right? yeah. Primary, yeah, the caucus, yeah. And so I'm sitting there. You know, you know, and so all these candidates come through. You know, uh, Steve Forbes came through. A bunch of other people came through. You know, Bob Dole came through. So I went to one of his, you know, I went to one of his events, and I'm sitting, I'm looking as this uh, lady who, I sometimes forget she looks familiar. I turned around and said, "You're, you're Robin Dole, aren't you?" He said, "Oh yeah, you're. Oh, you're Tom. I remember you, Jeb Stewart High School. We shot the, you know, shot the bull and all that, and then." At another event, I was in the audience, and she saw me, and she takes her dad, shakes her dad, says, you know, I, you know, and she kind of pointed at me and said, hey, I went to high school with that guy. <laughs> and, you know, don't, you know, raise his left hand and, uh, you know, moved on. So that's my Bob Dole story. But, you know, it, let me begin with a story here, you know, my thoughts on uh, the greatest generation. And I'm not going to say the great it was perfect, but you think about it because I have my parents, uh, yeah, my parents, uh, they were both born, yeah, they were both born during the Spanish flu, you know, during, you know, the heights of the Spanish flu, 1919, 1920. Uh, my dad lived on a farm and, and, it's, you know, and interesting enough, his dad went to Gallatin, came to Gallatin, Missouri, to get a car dealership in 1929, right when the Great Depression begins. Needless to say, he went back to the farm. Uh, and my, my parents survived the Great Depression. They survived World War II, my mother's first husband was killed in World War II. They basically helped rebuild America post-World War II. They pretty much designed the strategy of the Cold War, which ended in victory, presided over two people of that generation, George H.W. Bush and, of course, Ronald Reagan. If you think about the accomplishments they have, they win a world war. They survive a depression. They built this country post World War II and probably one of the greatest countries ever, you know, dominant ever economically speaking. And you look at their accomplishments. I it's like, you know, what was discovered? Antibiotics were discovered. We went to the moon. The technology that took us to the moon. They were a party to. Uh, the civil rights movement began during the 1950s, where you began the first steps of redressing some very big wrongs. They built one of the most powerful economy, which they handed over to as baby boomers in the 1990s. You know that's an you know they have you know that's an accomplishment of an entire generation. The generation that fought Pearl Harbor. And I'll start with you, Dr. Larry. What do you think? 
Well, um, I was there when it was bombed, and um, I had to really run my tail off to get out of the way. <laughs> no, I wasn't really. Um, I think that I think that uh, they had. I always make the comparison of my uh, my dad went to um, school riding on with his uh one of his sisters on a on a horse on a horse's back and um he lived to uh fly to uh, Rome on a trans uh Atlantic uh, a jet airplane and uh, it's uh, it was an incredible it's an incredible period uh that uh, that, that really, <clears throat> um, that the that these people lived in, um, and then they clearly they they didn't just live in it; they also uh, did it. I mean, they they made it. Um, I think though that one of the greatest um, uh, accomplishments, or one of the greatest challenges that were in that generation uh, was actually before before Pearl Harbor and that was the uh, Great Depression it um, and that that really uh, it could have changed it could have changed it could have gone many many different ways uh, including it could have gone in the direction of uh, Russia of uh, Germany's uh, uh, flight, flight into uh, Nazism or some some uh, other uh, you know some other type of uh, totalitarianism, and yet they they stuck with it enough that uh, they didn't um, they came out of it. I don't. I guess they would not have gotten out of it. Probably, well, had had World War Two not happened, it's a, a big question as to what what would have what where what would have been next because uh, the the World War the World War galvanized the United States into a lot of uh, action. Uh, economic, uh, not only military but also uh, economic financial action that actually got got us out of the uh, the depression. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it, this, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, I, I'm going to say really, that. it's quite a story. I mean. Yeah, it's great. Uh, uh, Pam, your thoughts? I agree with Doctor Larry. It is. Uh, quite a story, number one. Uh, my whole thing, if you've never been to the Arizona, I would uh, encourage anybody to just take that trip. Um, it, it is, you know, a, a remarkable um, journey and a remarkable story. And to know, even even now when I see the pictures, and, you know, today's the anniversary and you see the pictures, I know people were still there because they were still trapped in those ships. But those guys didn't give up fighting. 
and the guys that were there that went through what you and I would consider today PTSD, you know, they kept fighting. Um, there wasn't any such a thing as PTSD in their world, in their mind. You know, you just kept doing the job and you kept going through it. And yes, these bad things happen, but you keep doing the job and you keep your, you know, you keep focused on what the goal is. And um, <clears throat> I think that, that, that we have not taught Pearl Harbor well enough to this day. I mean, because you even talking about on the Japanese side, you have somebody who was um, so uh, had such conviction that they were willing to die. I'm talking about the suicide bombers. They were willing to die yeah. to do this. And on our side, you had the guys that were willing to die to drop this bomb. You know, yeah. um, I'm talking about Doolittle's Raiders and stuff. I mean, these people were yeah. willing to give up their life for this. Um, which, uh, you know, in one sense you could say it was a little fat, fanatical, but on another sense it was um, it was do good for men and not, you know, not for myself. It wasn't, it, people weren't doing it for themselves. They were doing it for no. their neighbors. They were doing it for everybody around them. You talk about the Great Depression, that was when people came together also because everybody was in the same boat. Yeah, that's a good point because that's what my dad once told me. He said, you know, we never viewed ourselves as poor because we were all poor. We were all in the same boat. But here's a little interesting tidbit here about Pearl Harbor because people don't realize how close we came to basically, you know, uh, losing it all in the sense that, uh, you know, there were some – First of all, the Japanese made a couple of critical mistakes. They didn't bomb third and the fourth time around uh, like they could have uh, to you know, put the entire base. And all of our aircraft carriers were not there. And had we confronted the Japanese, we most likely would have lost most of our ships and even far more greater men. I mean, this was one of those uh, battles that on the surface, was a complete debacle for the United States Navy. But it proves to be, in the end, okay, well, it proved that, but it may have proved to be even more of a disaster because the, once we got into the war, our industrial might came forth, uh, literally. But, and here's well, we the other aspect. We of, wouldn't have known like, that, you know, if it no, hadn't been for the war. No, we wouldn't have known that. You're absolutely correct. We wouldn't have known that. I'm just making the point here that, uh, you know, you look at the first opening months of that war, even at Midway, people don't realize at Midway, we, that's the one battle where you had a United States Admiral, you know, Chester, you know, basically designing a battle plan despite the fact that they were outnumbered two to one in aircraft carriers, outnumbered in planes in general, and they still found a way to basically win that battle that turned the tide. But for six months, it was nothing but bad news, and yet they persevered through all of this. You know, it's like we're going to eventually win this thing. We didn't give up. So, but but I think that I think that one of the 
the keys to this whole phenomenon is that it was that our <clears throat> victory as a people was really psychological. It was the the the, the, uh, the, the psychology of it. I mean, be, it, there wasn't anything that we were doing in the war, in the war that we could not have done in the peace. But we yeah. but we we weren't motivated, and therefore we didn't do it. But um, but that really is 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 a, is, is a uh, phenomenon that is more psychological in in, in effect than it is uh, material. So that's really uh, an an astounding yeah. factor, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, I go back to the original point I made uh, before you came on the air. If you look at that generation, what they accomplished, uh, I mean, they, you know, they, like I say, they survived a depression. They won a major war. They set in motion the strategy and presided over that strategy that ended a the Cold War without a nuclear war in victory. I mean, they literally handed you know, the next two generation, a country so far ahead of everybody else at that point in time. I mean, that's, I mean, there was accomplishments there that just can't be denied of what a, you know, of that one aspect of greatness. I mean, for, I mean, there's that period of time when the United States was the lone superpower. I mean, that's the world of George H.W. Bush, member of the greatest generation passed over, Handed over to Bill Clinton, to George Bush, and to the rest of the baby boomers from that point forward. Now, many of the technology we look at today was developed in that period of time from the computer to space travel. And as you stated, uh, and you made a very interesting point. I know we're about ready to, you know, I'm about ready to leave here. But I want to thank you, Pam, for coming on the show. I want to thank you, Dr. Larry, for joining us. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night, Wolf Riley will be, yeah, Wolf Riley will be joining me on the Donaldson Files, and Resistance Hour. Who knows? You just have to come in and listen to the show to know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and on that point, I'm going to say good night. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned on this network for you and the law, because they have Roland Skip Kelly, defense attorney, um, to join them. So this is Tom Donaldson saying. Adios, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.